Father, we uh, thank you for the privilege now to open your word. Give us eyes that can see and ears that can hear. Holy Spirit, remind us that in every generation, we must decide. We each must decide how we will go forward in this life. Thank you for the provision of your Son and your Spirit. Thank you, Father, for your love. Thank you for the way, the truth, and the life. May we now choose to walk in it by the power of your great name. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So yeah, just think about this. Forty years ago, this weekend, Living Hope was meeting in a funeral home for the first time, gathering for worship. And you think about over the years what God has done, how many missionaries, how many pastors, how many leaders have passed through these hallways, how many have come to saving faith, how many are now serving, how many now are, are living in the light of Jesus Christ. Because of this family of faith that God has faithfully guided and enabled us to remain faithful to His Word and to His Gospel. But we have to understand that in, in biblically speaking, we think of 40 years, that's, that's really a generation. And so what we have now is a generation that's gone before us, and now we are, in essence, the next generation. A new generation is now coming up, and every generation has to make its own choices. Each and every one of us must choose whom we will serve, how we will serve, if we will believe. And it's a decision that we have to make. And so as we're celebrating the 40th, one of the things that we're going to do is we're going to walk through Joshua, and we're going to talk about the need to, to be mapping out our own decisions. And each one of us must choose. And so my prayer and my purpose in these series of sermons is that God would draw us to himself and draw us closer to one another in the mission that, that he has declared us to be ours. And so I, I pray that you'll be here every Sunday, and I pray that you will come prepared, ready to, to understand that you've got to make a decision. I've got to make a decision. We've got to make a decision about how it is we will go forward. In our text today, we, we see God calling us to go with him. God calls us to, to go with Him. He says, and the call is, go with God. And so if you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, take it out and turn with me now to Joshua chapter 1. Benjamin Thomas is going to read our text for today, so let's all stand together in honor of God's Word. Our text is verses 1 through 5 of Joshua chapter 1. So Benjamin, if you would, read that for us. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go to this Jordan in you, and all the people into the land that I am giving to them, the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I have promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, Toward going down the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all of the days of your life. Just as I have said to Moses, I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. The word of God. Thanks be to God. If you would go ahead and be seated. Uh, many of you know that I, I have a dog and not a cat. Because cats think they're God and dogs know what they are, Right. Uh, I, I love my dog Charlie. Charlie has uh, uh, developed a bit of a vocabulary. So these days, if you were to say his name, if you say uh, Charlie, and then you say the word eat, he begins to salivate. Uh, most of the time he just looks like this, just utterly depressed. I don't know why. He just lays around. But if you say Charlie, eat, he starts licking his lips. If you say Charlie and the word walk, forget about it. 
he's gone and he's going to go nuts. The other one will get him is if you say, Charlie, and then the phrase, actually, you don't have to say the phrase. I was, I was doing this film last night, just aggravating the fire out of him, just, just to make sure, you know, I, I was preaching truth. But I, you just say the word, you want to go? You want to go? You say, you want to go? He's up. He's on his feet because he's ready to go because he's never more happy than when he's on the go. And this is what happiness looks for Charlie right there, right? He's, he's, that's, that's him with me going in the Jeep, right? So, he, you know, he goes from, you know, grumpy to you want to go, and, and he's happy. And, and here's what I want us to understand this morning. God is saying to us, you want to go? You want to go? See, God wants us to decide to go with him. And, and Charlie's never happier than when he's going with me. When he's riding in that Jeep and that hair, and that, that wind is blowing his hair, my bald head, there's never a happier moment, Right? When he's going with his master, with his provider, with his leader, and so it is with us. We are never happier than when we are going with God. And what we see in our text is what it looks like, what happens when we decide to go with God. So take those as we walk through the text. Understand when we go with God, we go with the history to teach us. We have this grand expanse of a history, not just 40 years of the faithfulness of, of saints, but, but, but millennia now of those who have walked faithfully with God. And so here is Joshua, this generation, and, and the text begins, the book begins in verse 1, after the death of Moses, very first phrase, very first idea, Moses has died. This reality is the first thing that is being planted in the minds of these people, understanding that a new generation is, is now dawning. There's a new day. And with that day comes new decisions that must be made by that generation. And so, understanding this, there's this is pressing reality. Moses is dead. But under Moses, there, there's this need now, as, as death often does, it, it, it causes us to, to look back to see what was. So, they say, after the death of Moses, they, they were reminded of the tough things that the people of God went through and the things that God taught them. Uh, the Israelites have been taught the most important lessons in life. And these are lessons that we, I pray, are learning, uh, have learned, and, and are, are living in light of. First of all, understand, they learned that God is a promise-keeping God. He is. God keeps His promises. If you look at Genesis chapter 15, verse 13, look what God said to Abram. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, there will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. That's exactly what happened. The children of Israel will take, were taken into bondage into Egypt for 400 years, just as the Word of God said. God's Word speaks, and it is true. And God always keeps the promises of His Word. Understand what the Bible is. The Bible is not a collection of sayings or stories. It's a single story with four sections. Creation, fall, rescue, and restoration. We know God made the world to be in harmony. You say, how do you know that? Because every time there is death or conflict or pain, something inside of us screams out, this is wrong, this is not right. So the question becomes, why is the world not as it should be? And here's why, because of the fall. Because we sin, and when, when sin entered the world, so did death and conflict and cancer and all kinds of other problems. But thanks be to God, He did not abandon us. He, could have, he would have been justified to just say, you know what, you want sin, you get sin. Death is your choice, you've got it. Instead, God, on that very day of our fall, made the promise. 
that he would come and redeem the people for himself. And the Old Testament points to this promise of this rescue, of this one who would be God, who would take on flesh, who would die for sin and be raised on the third day and raise up a nation for himself. God kept every promise as it pertains to the rescue. And Jesus said, I'm coming again. And you can look at both the Old and New Testament and you see the promise God made of a restoration. And this is good news for us, for us who believe, because here's what we can know. God has kept every promise He's ever made, and He's going to keep every promise that has been made. He's coming again. This world is not our home. Heaven is coming. This is as bad as it gets. And for that we say, praise God. Amen. And so we, we know that God keeps His promises. He kept His promises for these people. And, and the, one of the promises is that He will save all who believe. The second thing they learn, we need to learn, is that God is a saving God. In Exodus chapter 12, this is where they learned it. The blood shall be a sign for you. This is in Egypt, before the Passover. Death is coming. Judgment is coming. On the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. They were saved by the Lamb of God, just as we are. They were saved by a lamb whose blood they, they took and placed over the, the, the doorframe of their homes. And so when judgment, when the judgment of God came, any who had by faith, trusted in the blood of the Lamb by placing it over the, 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 the doorframe of their home, they were saved. They were not killed. They, they did not face God's wrath, His judgment. But any who did not have the blood of the Lamb and faith, they were, they were judged harshly by the wrath of God. And here's what we can know about our God. Our God is the saving God. And John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus, he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, and for all who will trust in the blood of the Lamb of God today, we will be saved. Our sin is covered. We, we fear no judgment. We can know that we are right with, with, God, with God because God, our God, is a saving God. We can also know that our God is a powerful God. Look what he did in Exodus 14, 21. As they were making their way to the promised land, the Egyptians are after them. The Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. This was the Red Sea. I, I like you. Some of you uh, maybe were were trained uh, by by liberal professors. I, I used to always laugh when I would sit in one of some of my liberal classes, and the professor would say, "Well, it wasn't the Red Sea; it was the Red Sea, and it wasn't as though there was a massive wall of sea. There was merely two feet of water." And I would always laugh, and I would say, "What a wonderful miracle that God would kill an entire Egyptian army with two foot of water! What a spectacular miracle that was!" And they never thought it was funny as I did. But our God is a miracle-working God. Listen, let me just remind you something. You know this. Let me just remind you. Everything is small to God. Everything. Our God has power beyond what we can measure. Our God spoke into nothing. He created everything. He sustains everything, though, by the power of His might. Listen. Cancer is a small thing to God. Job loss is a small thing to God. Marital strife is a small thing to God. Parenting is a small thing to God. Uh, you know, uh, a government system falling apart is a small thing to God. There is nothing that is big to God. Our God is bigger. Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. Now, what we see is what we need to believe. Our God is a great and mighty God. Our God is powerful, and our God is holy. He's dangerously holy. 
Exodus 19, Leviticus 11. Exodus 19 says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Our God is holy. And for those he saves and redeems by his blood, he calls us to be holy, to be obedient. He, he says this not only in 1 Peter, 1 Peter looks back to this text in Leviticus 11.44. For I am the Lord your God, consecrate yourselves therefore, and be holy as I am holy. Without holiness, we will not see the face of God. The only way we can enter into God's presence in this eternal heaven is if we are holy, and none of us can make ourselves holy. We, we must be made holy by grace, through faith, in Christ alone. It is only by the blood of the Lamb of God that our sin is pardoned. And it is because of the righteousness of Christ that is given to us that we are made and proclaimed holy by God. We now have no fear of the punishment or the power of sin. Christ has overcome both, and now we are free to obey God. Will we be tempted? Yes. Will we stumble and fall? Yes. Will we remain faithful in the trajectory of holiness and over time become more and more like Jesus, more and more holy? Yes, if we are truly saved. Because the redeemed of God always live out who they are. And who are we? We are a holy nation made so by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. God's people, looking back over Moses' time, they knew this. They saw this. They they. They saw that, that God was powerful, that God was holy, and that, that God was a faith-demanding God. Our God demands faith. Look at Numbers chapter 14. The Lord delights in us. This is Caleb and Joshua, Moses and Aaron, speaking to the people of Israel who, who don't want to live by faith, who don't want to go into the promised land, who don't want to trust in God. He will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And all the congregation said to stone them with stones, but the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meetings to all the people of Israel. God had called them to, to walk by faith. Not to depend upon themselves. They were accurate. They were right to say that they could not conquer the land. That's right. That's right. They needed and were going to have to live by faith. And so are we. God calls us to live by faith. There is a lie that has come from a misquotation of Scripture that I want to clear up right now with you. I heard it in a movie recently. I heard a well-meaning Christian person say it in, in, a, in an interview, and it just—it's it, just like it's just like fingernails on a chalkboard when I hear it. Here's what the lie is: God will never give me more than I can handle. That's a lie. What's the truth? God will never give you more than He can handle. Do you see the difference? will often go through what you cannot handle. We are in a fallen world. We have a fallen demon out to destroy every single one of us. We are going to have to live by faith in Christ alone. God has designed us to live by faith. He doesn't look at us and say, save yourselves. He doesn't look to us and say, find someone or something that can save you. No, he says the opposite. He says, you can't, it can't. Christ alone. This is the gospel. Listen, we know that God made, made all things to be in harmony. That's God's design. 
But we know that because of sin, that there is now brokenness. And what God doesn't want us to do, He does not want us to depend on brokenness for salvation. God doesn't want us to look to ourselves or any other created thing. What does God want us to do? He wants us to repent of trusting in ourselves, to repent and trusting in government, and trusting in other people, and trusting in a relationship. Listen, those of you who are single that you think getting married is going to save you, talk to a married person. Listen, it's a blessing, and they're going to tell you, I love my wife, I love... Listen, that's not going to make you... It's going to... It's, it's, it's good, but it's not going to fix all your problems. I know some of think, if I could just have a child, how do people have children? Right? I mean, it's just... Are you, some of you think, if I could just get rid of my children, right? Listen, it doesn't matter. The, the created world situations can't save us. There's one Savior, Jesus Christ, and Him crucified and raised. He alone is our salvation, and we must we must trust Him by faith. Now, the Israelites, they're like us. They had good moments and bad moments. They had moments when they trusted and obeyed. Again, uh, Exodus 14, 22, when the Red Sea was parted, the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry land with with the waters being a wall to them on their on their right and, and hand and on their left. But there were also times when they wouldn't go through. There were times when they wouldn't be obedient. You look at Numbers chapter 14, uh, verses 3 and 4. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land? To fall by the sword, our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose the leader and go back to Egypt. There were times when they failed to live by faith. The Israelites remind us that, that disobedience has serious consequences. Again, Numbers 32, verse 13. And the Lord's anger was kindled against Israel. He made them wander in the wilderness for 40 years. So all the, the generation that had done evil the sight of the Lord was gone. There's consequences to our action. Now, God saves us from punishment and the power of sin. But understand, when we choose to disobey God, there are consequences for our sin. You've heard me say this for years. What, what is sin? What does sin do? Sin will always take you further than you intended to go. It will always cost you more than you wanted to pay. It will always give you less than it promised. That's sin. It will always take you further than you intended to go. It will always cost you more than you wanted to pay. And it will always give you less than it promised. When we disobey God, there are consequences. But God still will accomplish His purpose. And here's what I want. I want really for us as a family of faith to understand. God doesn't need us, but He wants us. He doesn't need us. Deuteronomy 30, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy chapter 3, God's dealing with Moses. He says, go up to the top of Pisgah, lift up your eyes westward and northward and southward and eastward and look at it with your eyes, for you shall not go over this Jordan. Moses was not allowed to go in the promised land or any of the, of the previous generation, but charged Joshua to courage and strengthen him. For he shall go over at the head of this people, and he shall put them in possession of the land that you shall see. What's God saying? Moses, there are consequences to your sin. I want you, but I don't need you. You chose not to trust me. I'll find someone else who will trust me. And here's what we need to understand as the children of God. God loves us and he wants us, but he does not need us. And if we don't want to be faithful to the gospel, if we don't want to make disciples, if we don't want to get out there and be salt and light to the world, he'll find someone else who will. He'll let this turn into a bank or, or some kind of other secular source of, of entertainment, and, and it, it will be as nothing to God. It's not His will, it's not His desire, but we need to understand it is a privilege to serve the Almighty. 
It is a privilege to be His people. And if we don't want to go with God, He'll find someone who will. And we must be faithful to, to remain trusting in Him. Not like Moses, not like this generation who felt. We must remain faithful. We have seen for the last 40 years of our family of faith, faithfulness. We must choose to go with God. And to go with God, we're going we're gonna to have to go with, 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 with one another. Write this one down. Second, we, when we go with God, we go with a family to shape us. If you're a Christian who's not a member of a local church, then, then you are living out of step with God. God calls us to be in a family of faith, the church. Look at verse 2. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. Friends, you get to choose your friends. You don't get to choose your family, right? And this is a family of faith. And, and we are far from perfect. We are far from perfect. It's a good church, but we got underwear showing all over the place, all right? And so if you want to be a part of this family, we welcome you to come and join and be a part of it. But understand, it's more than just having your name on a roll. It's living as a family in the life of this, of this congregation. Listen, if you're not living as family in this congregation, you are not capable of experiencing the fruit of the Spirit. Look what it says in, in Galatians chapter 5. Look at the description. Think about it in these terms. How many of these require other people to exist? But the fruit of the Spirit is love. You've got to have other people to do that. Joy, peace, patience. You've got to have other people for that. Kindness, other people, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no law. If you or any believer is not active in a family of faith, and not dealing with the challenges and opportunities that exist by being in that family, you are not growing in the fruit of the Spirit. It's possible. You need other believers in order to grow. Last week, uh, uh, Pastor David and Pastor Tyler talked about the necessity of needing one another. Listen, next year we're going to preach through the one another's in the New Testament because God has called us to be a family that walks along the same path. Here at Living Hope, we have a simple path. Called the Disciples Pathway. We worship, connect, serve, equip, and multiply. But understand why. It's not enough that we simply do the steps. We've got to become the people. Why do we worship? To become worshipers. God demands worshipers. The reason we worship on Sunday is so that we can be renewed in our commitment to be worshipers so that we worship the six other days where we live, work, learn, and play. We connect. Why? So that we can become family. It's not so that we can click it off of our, our to-do list. Okay, we went to group. Okay, we were with those people. No, no, no. It's so we can become family. Why do we serve? To become servants. Jesus Christ said, I, I didn't come to be served, but to give my life to serve as a ransom for many. God, God is calling us to be servants and to be learners. That's why we go to a quick class. So we can be learners. What a disciple is, it's a learner. And we multiply. Why? So that we can live out what God has called us to be. And every person in this room who is a follower of Jesus Christ, you and I are first and foremost missionaries. I know we want to think about missionaries as people who are on foreign soil. Listen, this is foreign soil to somebody, all right? 
And our job, wherever we are, is to live as missionaries for Jesus Christ. To, to lead more people to anchor their life and hope in Jesus. And then to help them to become disciples who, who are worshipers, who are family, who are servants, who are learners, who are themselves missionaries living where God has called them to be. And as we become what God has called us to be, we will fulfill our vision. So write it down. When we go with God, number three, we go with a vision to guide us. When you look at verses 3 and 4, you see this compelling vision that God had given the children of Israel. He was showing the land that they were to take. He was leading them to that place. He had enabled them to conquer the land. They were going to have to rely on God. What about us? God is calling us here at, at, at Living Hope to reach 1%. So well, where does that come from? Understand, 84% of the people that live in our community do not attend worship regularly. They are not in a, in a church family worshiping God every Sunday. 84%. The vision is that I want you to picture a football field. And picture we're on the picture we're on the 14-yard uh, line, all right? I'm sorry, it's not 84%, it's 86%. Picture we're on the 14-yard line. We want to move the ball one yard. We want to move the ball the faith forward 1%. God is calling us, and, and here's, the, here's the good news, bad news. The bad news is this. Of that 84% who are not in church regularly, many of them think they are Christians. So if you ask them, hey, you want to go to church? We all, I, I have a church. Oh, really? When, when did you go last? Honey, when did we go to church last? Who's your pastor? Oh, I like him. Listen. If you just say, that bald guy, that's not enough, all right? Living hope at that. Reverend Dr. Jason, you got to know. And the only way you're going to know is if you're there. Listen, the majority of our people, here's, they believe the lie. Here's the lie. You've heard me talking about this. They've been told, if you'll believe some information and go under some water, you've got eternal security. It's a lie. What is salvation? Salvation is trusting Jesus to be saved by Jesus to obey Jesus. That's what we've been talking about. Salvation is trusting Jesus to to be saved by Jesus to obey Jesus. Now listen, if you're not obeying Jesus, you don't love Jesus. What did Jesus say in John chapter 14, verse 15? Uh, yeah, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. What's Jesus saying? Listen, to know Jesus is to love Jesus. To love Jesus is to obey Jesus. If you are not obeying Jesus, it's because you do not love Jesus. And if you do not love Jesus, it's because you do not know Jesus. We have we have tons of people in our community who claim to know information about Jesus, but they don't know Jesus. Because if you know Jesus, you love Jesus. And if you love Jesus, you obey Jesus. And Jesus commands us to worship Him to gather with a family of faith, to connect, to serve, to be equipped, to, to be missionaries and multiply the faith. But the good news is, is there are lots of people all around us that need Jesus. That's good news. Now, for some people, it's like, oh, what about the good old days where most people, no, 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 it's good news. I was at a conference last week and I really enjoyed it. It was a conference on what what is the church to do in a post-Christian or neo-pagan world. And, and what it was is they had a historian, a theologian, and a pastor. So the historian would talk for an hour, the theologian would talk for an hour, then the pastor would talk for an hour. I don't want to hear any complaints about 35 minutes of me, all right? 
So what they did is they took sections of history and explained what happened to God's people in, in, in difficult, painful times. And what they showed is every time the true people of God, they were able to raise up because it was a time of victory. They were surrounded by darkness. They were able to be a great light. And one of the illustrations that he used, you maybe have heard this guy's name before. His name is Louis Puller. They called him Chesty. Uh, he was a, he's an old Marine. He is the most decorated Marine in the history of the Marine Corps. He went from being a private to a general. And he's famous for saying two things. First, what he said was this. Uh, he said to his men, all right, they're on our left, they're on our right, they're in front of us, they're behind us. They can't get away this time. <laughs> I love that. And there's a cartoon that's made up, but he actually said this. The guy that supported the said, sir, we're surrounded. He said, excellent, we can attack in any direction. And hey, good news for us to believe where you live, where you work, where you learn and go to school, where you play, where you hang out. Listen, you can share Jesus in any direction and find somebody to meet. You can make disciples in any direction and you will find folks who are hungry and needing salvation. The vision is that we will be God's people living out our calling to make disciples. And God does the work. He does the saving. We get to join God in what He's doing and seeing lives transformed by the gospel. God has called us to live this way. And when we go with God, write it down, we go with a faith to sustain us. When I look at verse 5, there's something else that immediately comes to my mind. Look at verse 5. It says, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Look at that last sentence. I will not leave you or forsake you. We've been given the same promise today. Think about the last thing Jesus said. Think about Matthew 28, beginning in verse 18. What Jesus said, and Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Look what he says. Read this out loud with me. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. God is with us to live in obedience to Him, to make disciples. God has called us to live by faith, and He will sustain us in that faith as we trust in His power, as we trust in His purpose, as we live as salt and light in this world. The Lord will sustain us. Now look, if you're not living for the Lord, if you're living for a created thing, you have no access to the power and the goodness of God. You're trusting in a created thing. And your life is only as strong as that thing with which you're placing your faith. Whether it be a family, a good thing, or a friend, a good thing, a spouse, a good thing, or a bad thing, like a drug, or, or some carnal pleasure. Listen, there's only one that can say, and that is Christ. And this Christ calls us to go with Him. And to go with Him is to trust Him. And here's what I know about some of you today. You need to trust Him. He's saying to you, you want to go? And so you need to get on your knees today and say, I want to go with you, Lord God. In the name of Jesus, by the blood of the Lamb. Some of you have trusted in Christ, but are you living in faith? Are you living in obedience to Him? Are you making disciples? 
Are you impacting the people where you work, where you live, where you learn? Are, are you are you are you standing? And are you living out what God has called us to? You may need help. God knows that. That's why He wants you where you are, so you have to trust in Him. Listen, in Christ, nothing can hold you back. He has the power to do all things, but He has chosen to work with the obedience of His people by faith. And this morning, if you would like to have saving faith, come ask Him. If you would like for Him to renew your faith, come ask Him. If you would like for Him to do a miracle in your life, in the life of someone you know, come ask Him. All things are small to God. Saving your eternal soul, giving your life purpose, providing a miracle in your family, amongst your friends, it's a small thing to God. He's waiting for faith and for you to ask. And you're invited to do that now. Let's take the other pray. Lord God, I ask that you would enable us to have faith and to believe as we sing of the, of the reality that nothing can hold us back so long as we are trusting in you. And God, I know there are some today who need to come and just stand before you here or get on their knees and say, Lord, I want to go with you. Forgive me. I need your strength. Strengthen me. I, I, I ask you to save my neighbor, my co-worker, my spouse, my kids, my parents, some other family, whoever. Lord God, hear the, the cries of your people as they come in faith now to ask you to do what only you can do, which is to bring salvation and strength for the journey, for the road, for the path you've called us to. God, do that for your glory and our blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.